Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 248 with Grant Baldwin. I think you'll enjoy this conversation with Grant because one, he has a whole lot of fun enthusiasm, and two, he draws his experience when it comes to professional speaking from his own work as a speaker, as well as working with many, many folks who have made the transition to professional speaking. So that is pretty cool to hear what makes the pros pros. So you'll learn one, the one thing that distinguishes professional speakers from the rest, two, top things not to do when presenting, and three, helpful ways to make a huge upgrade to your presentation skills. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced here, you can find that on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F248. And we're at awesomeatyourjob.com. I hope you check out some of our nifty stuff. One thing I'd point you to right now is the magnifying glass right there in the navigation bar on the website. So the cool thing about having every episode transcribed is that it is totally searchable. So if you think you remember hearing one thing one time, you could search for that or whatever your current work situation is, you may well find some insight by searching that away. Now, here is Grant's story. Grant Baldwin is a veteran speaker who started his public speaking career as a youth pastor. Since then, he has given thousands of presentations in conferences, assemblies, conventions, and other events. He's the host of The Speaker Lab, a podcast that helps other speakers start, build, and grow their businesses. Here is Grant. Grant, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Pete, it's like Christmas morning, waking up, looking at the calendar and saying, today I get to talk to Pete, and uh, it's here. The moment has arrived, and it's just like accepting an an Academy Award or something. Oh, you probably say that to all your interviewers. (laughs) You know what? You can go back to all of them. I don't know that I've ever said that. Well, I'm excited to chat with you, boy, because we met years ago when you generously volunteered to speak at my Hobie, Hugh O'Brien Youth Leadership Seminar back in uh, Champaign-Urbana, and I've just been watching you from afar. How many years ago was that? It is in the ballpark of 10. (laughs) Yeah, I would say, I'd say 8 to 10. Yeah. So I've just been watching you from afar with your podcast and what you've been doing and then said, well, hey, wait a second. I think there's a fit here. So I want to dig into a lot of the the learnings that you have have developed and shared with uh, all of your clients through the Speaker Lab. All right. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Before we do that, I just did a quick search. I, I couldn't help myself. June of 2009. 2009 or yeah. Yeah. That eight and a half. And good organization. It was. I remember <laughs> it. it was a fun event. I guess Makaitis is uh, is a pretty searchable keyword that won't uh, trip too many other things. It's in the archives. Yeah, okay, cool. So yeah, I, I mean, I want to chat about some of your insights discovered and, and shared with your speaker lab clientele. But first, I thought every speaker has a pretty wild story when it comes to their travel and their mishaps. Could you share with us one of your most hilariously awesome tales or a tale that comes from uh, one of the speakers you've worked with? Yeah, so I, I'll, I'll give you both. All right, I'll give you both quickly. So one that happened to me, I remember several years ago, was I was speaking at an event in Colorado and flying from Denver to Chicago and then was going to, once I get into Chicago, had something like a two-hour drive into somewhere in Illinois or I don't know, maybe like, what would that be, uh, Eastern Iowa. And so 
uh, was in Denver and it's a big blizzard, snowstorm, something comes blowing in and it's just dumping snow and flight. Uh, we're on the plane, plane, planes delayed, 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 delayed. So they finally get ready to take off. And at this point it is something like two or three in the morning. And so by the time I land in Chicago, it's like five, six in the morning, got to drive a couple hours. So I haven't really slept. And I remember just being in a daze of driving a couple hours, getting to the venue. And I remember even like being delirious, like brushing my teeth in the parking lot of the venue where I was getting ready to speak and just feeling trashed and exhausted and just feeling like, you know, this is the, this is the glamorous life of a speaker. So yeah, that few of those type of war stories have happened a few times. But if you, if I may, I got to push for the ending. How did the speech go and what the client say? And did you collect your money? (laughs) It went well. It went, in fact, I was supposed to give two talks and there's some type of break in between. And so I asked, I said, Hey, if it's okay, I just, I need to go back to the hotel and just take just zonk for a little bit and then for the second talk i'm gonna be in much better shape and uh they generously let me do that and it, it went great yeah went, went fine worked out well very good heroics when it comes to the toothbrushing in the parking lot that reminds me once i was doing some consulting and we were eating cereal from a vending machine out of a styrofoam cup with a plastic spork while wearing a hairnet and a cookie factory and like this is the glamorous life of strategy consulting <laughs> exactly this is the part that nobody gets to see <laughs> right okay so that's yours you said you had one from a client too. Yes. This wasn't a client. It was just a friend of mine, but they had, they were speaking at something and they go to check in at the hotel. And I guess there was some type of guy on the hunt, manhunt going on in the area for some criminal for something. So a friend of mine checks into this hotel and he looks like the dude, apparently, whoever the, this criminal was. So he gets to his room. A few minutes later, the phone rings and it is a, it's the front desk or no, excuse me, it's, it's the police. And they're like, hey, we're, it's the police and we're outside your door and you need to come out. And he's thinking like, yeah, whatever. This is a joke. Someone's pranking me. Hangs up the phone. Like a couple minutes later, they call back and they're like, seriously, come out of the door. People are banging on the door. He opens the door looks down like each end of the hallway is SWAT team, barking dogs, guns drawn, like the <laughs> oh, 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 yes. And just total case of mistaken identity there. But he was just like, <laughs> I'm traumatized. So there's that side of it too, which is seems much more mentally and emotionally damaging than uh, having to brush your teeth in a parking lot. Oh, yes. Thank you. You really delivered on that. I thought, okay. I hope we have a good travel story, and I cannot conceive of a better one. It's pretty, it's pretty rough. <laughs> you know, SWAT teams and being surrounded beats. I was really delayed on a flight, and it was bad. So thank you for bringing that. So now can you share with us, okay, the Speaker Lab, what's it all about? What are you trying to do there? So I was a full-time speaker for about seven, eight years or so, and was speaking a lot in the education space, was doing anywhere from 50 to 70 events a year, and had a lot of people who were asking me about speaking. A lot of people were intrigued in, hey, how do I become a speaker? How do I get into this? And so we started doing a couple different online trainings around this subject and topic, and I just found that there's a lot of people that teach the art side, the presentation side. Here's how you put together a good talk. Here's how you make a good presentation. Here's how you put your slides together and all that stuff. But there wasn't a lot of people that were teaching the business side. Yeah, but how do you actually... If you find a gig, how do you know how much to charge? How do you know how to take care and, and work with a client? And so we started putting together some trainings around that. And that's a lot of what we do today is between our, we do a free podcast and then we also have various trainings and coaching opportunities and, and basically just help people create and build a plan and a step-by-step system for how to consistently find and book speaking engagements. Okay, that's cool. Well, so, and I would like to dig into, in fact, the art of speaking itself more so for this conversation uh, to be most applicable to our audience of 
professionals employed in, in various places. So I guess I'm intrigued to see when you're working with folks, what do you see most commonly as the differentiator between someone who is like, okay, yeah, they're, they're decent at speaking to, up. Oh, I'm looking at a professional here when it comes to their delivery. Could you sort of paint that picture for what makes the difference? Yeah, I think one of the big things that makes a difference and something that anyone could do is a lot of it comes down to the the preparation and the practice, the rehearsal that they put into it. And I think oftentimes there's this misconception that the best speakers in the world, they just get up on stage and they just make it up and they just wing it and they just shoot from the hip and and it all just naturally comes out. They are just naturally good. And yeah, there's some maybe a level of, of natural charisma that some people may have, but at the same time, like the, the best speakers on the planet spend a, an, an enormous amount of time really going over their material, really learning it, refining it, and practicing it, and rehearsing it, and preparing, so that by the time they get up on stage, it looks natural. It looks like they're just making it up. It looks like they're just winging it, but it's something they've really spent a lot of time on. So I think that's an easy thing for anybody in any type of, of context, whether you're, you want to be a professional speaker or someone who, you know, I got to give two or three presentations a, a year in my company or my business or to a, some type of local organization or, or civic group. There's the just spending the time to really work on your material and to practice it and go over it makes a, a huge, huge difference. Oh, that's so good. Now, what comes to mind for me as a comedian, they make it look so natural. Oh, they're super funny. They just have all these jokes that are great. But behind the scenes, they've been testing them and do use many jokes that didn't work and bombed and embarrassed themselves at smaller venues. And so there it is. The practice and the rehearsal, it's happening behind the scenes. So I know the number is going to vary wildly, but maybe just if you, if you imagine a context in which, hey, we've got a, there's a professional who has a maybe a 30-minute chunk of an important presentation to be delivered in a conference room, maybe to a combined set of stakeholders from some executives to some, some partners that uh, the company works with. Could you maybe lay it out for us? Like, what is the price of excellence? Is it like, for an hour or is it 50 hours? Is it 500 hours? Yeah. So one of the things that you kind of, you touched on there is some of it depends on the stakes of the context of the setting. Meaning that let's say, for example, you got to give a 30 minute talk to some friends and it's kind of a casual type of setting. Yeah. You're probably going to spend less time on it versus like you're pitching some type of business or idea or opportunity. And this is like make or break for your career. Probably going to spend a lot more time on it. So What's the, the, I don't know that there's necessarily a right or wrong answer, but typically the higher the stake, the more time you're going to put into it. So I can kind of walk you through, if this would be helpful, like how I would go about preparing for something like that. Is, yeah, let's hear it. Yeah. Yeah. The bigger the stakes for the type of event, I typically start with, well, I'll do a couple things here, just for some more context, is... If I'm speaking at something, I typically want to use material that I've given before, that I've, I've used before, that I've told before, that I know that works. But let's say for this context, like someone's never given a talk before, they have nothing to pull from. In that setting, you want to be really, really clear about what's the point of the presentation, what's the point of the talk, what's the main idea that you want to get to. So there, there may be talks that we've all sat through and, and listened to that you just kind of get to the end and you're like, yeah, it's interesting or it's good or it's entertaining or whatever, but like, I'm not really sure what the point of it was and I'm not really sure where this was going. So are you trying to get someone to take action? Are you trying to convince someone? Are you trying to persuade someone? Are you trying to inspire or motivate or encourage? Someone? Like, What's the point of the talk? So being clear on that. And from there, you can kind of reverse engineer and work backwards. So what I would do is once you kind of have that main idea is then you can just kind of brainstorm and come up with anything related to that idea. So 
Maybe it's a story. Maybe it's a stat. Maybe it's an image. Maybe it's a video. Maybe it's a point, a principle, a quote, you know, just anything you can think of. No filter, just brainstorming anything you can think of related to that topic. From there, you can start to put together a bit of a a skeleton outline of, all right, here's what all right, here, if, if I'm going to make this key point, then what's like the natural progression that I need to follow in order to take the audience to that place? And then you can kind of put together an outline and kind of fill in some of the meat from there. So what I would do personally is I like to manuscript it out. And I manuscript it not from the standpoint of, hey, I need to have a script that I'm going to remember and memorize word for word. That's not the point of it. If the point of it, though, is I really want to take the time to get all, like all the thoughts down on paper to make sure that it all naturally flows well together. So Pete, if you were to ask me, you know, tell me about whenever you proposed to your wife, right? I can, I mean, I could tell you that story off the top of my head because I lived it, but I bet if I sat down and it really took some time to, okay, let me think about the day. Let me think about the weather, the context, what happened? Who do we call? Who do we talk to? What happened next? How do we respond? How did she respond? How did I respond? All of like the details of it, my guess would be, it'd be a much, much better, more compelling, more interesting and engaging story. And so that's kind of the point is you're really just trying to like get down on paper, everything related to that topic, the points, the stories, every, where you're going with it so that by the time you get ready to tell it, there is more structure, there is more meat to it. And whenever I'm working on it in terms of practicing it and rehearsing and going over it, I'm not trying to go over from the standpoint of here's a script that I have to memorize, that I have to know word for word. I want to make sure that I understand that the gist of it, the idea of it, the essence of it, of where I'm going with the presentation and with the talk, but it doesn't necessarily have to be this word for word script that I'm trying to memorize. So if you're in front of an audience and you are singing some popular song or the national anthem and you screw up the lyrics, like everybody knows it. But if you're giving a talk or presentation and like, oh, I forgot my line or I told the story out of order. The audience has no idea. Like it makes no impact. It makes no difference to them. So you're you're not trying to memorize a script where I I need to know every single word of what I'm saying, and it becomes this robotic regurgitation of of words. But I just need to know where I'm going, and I need to know how I want to tell this story or make this point, so that the talk is much more prepared and practiced and rehearsed rather than just getting up and winging it. Okay. Now, when you say manuscript, so then you're saying that in fact you are writing every word, but you're not worried about saying every word. Is that fair? Correct. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So I would type and I think, I mean, everybody's different, but I think for a lot of us, we we write or we type the way we would speak. So I'm trying to, as I'm typing something out, I'm typing it out, like thinking through, like, how would I actually say this? You know, if I'm standing in front of an audience, how would I actually be communicating it and making sure that I'm writing it in that way? Now, again, it's not from the standpoint of this is exactly how I must say this. Now, there's going to be a couple key things, maybe a key point or a real main idea that you're like, these are the 10 words in this order and I need to say it this way because that, mm, like that works. Mm-hmm. Ask not what you can do. Oh, mixed it up already. <laughs> yeah, you got to know that stuff. <laughs> But for the most part, most of the pieces within within the talk, you need to know the idea of it and the essence of it without feeling like I need to know verbatim, word for word, how to tell this seven-minute story. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I dig that. So you're actually typing as opposed to recording and transcribing. Correct. Yep. Okay. Yep. And so that's just kind of your flavor. That's what works for you, and and that's helpful. Thank you. So what I like there, though... I was just going to say, like, I don't think there's a right or wrong way to go about it either. So 
Like that's what I do. Whereas I know some people who they prefer to handwrite things out. And like you mentioned, some people like to transcribe or some people like to have a bullet points of, of an outline and that's what they go off of. And they kind of fill in the blanks as they go. And to, to each their own, I think you kind of, the more you speak, the more you kind of figure out what makes sense and what works for you and just your preference and your style. Okay. So it's going to vary how much time it takes, but as you laid it out there, it's like the level of thought you're giving it is the level of the individual word as opposed to, well, I'm going to kind of talk about point one, then point two, then point three. Okay, I'm ready. Correct. Yep. Yep, exactly. And so then it sounds like there's a wide variation in terms of just how much prep is enough prep, but could you give us, I know I know numbers are hazardous, but I want to hammer home the point that I think is in your head. So if it's moderate stakes, 20 minutes of talk and new content, how much prep is like the bare minimum you think a person should invest? Yeah. I mean, if you're doing 20 minutes of content, I mean, from, I just found out I got to give 20 minutes to giving the presentation. I mean, I'd, I'd probably be looking at maybe five hours worth of just like really, and again, like depends on the, the stakes of it, but anywhere from, from three to five hours, I would say, because it just, it takes time to really, it's not like you're going to sit down and 20, you're going to type for 20 minutes and then it all going to naturally come out and then you're going to go over to time or two and it's, it's ready to go. Like it just, it just takes time to go over it. I think also the more often you are speaking and the more that you're generating content or the more that you're learning new material, the quicker and more efficient you get at it. You know, the first time you do anything is not nearly going to be as efficient as the time when you do it the hundredth time, you know? So the more you do something, the more comfortable you're going to start to feel with it as well. Okay, perfect. So I dig that. So then that ratio, that's like nine to 15 times or so of prep time to content time. And I think that's just handy because I've been in the position where the team works long and hard on the underlying backend data and the slide creation and, and locking down the deck just perfectly and then very little time on. So, okay, how are we going to say this if we really want to be persuasive or inspiring? And so I think if I could touch upon that for a moment, how does one be all the more persuasive and inspiring. Because in, in some ways, I think speeches are easier if your goal is to like, I'm going to inform them about this. By the end of the, the speech, they will now know about this thing that I have told them about. You know, I, I think that's kind of an easier hurdle to clear or goal to hit. So, but when it comes to like human beings having their hearts stirred and wanting to take action, boy, what's the, the secret sauce to making that happen? Well, I would say this. I think that motivating other people to do something is very, very difficult. Like you can't, at the end of the day, I can't make someone else do something. So one thing that I think that was very powerful and effective that I think anybody can use is stories and ideally first person stories. So that's something that I tend to use a lot of whenever I speak is first person stories, stories that I've actually lived. And so, yeah, sure. You can tell, you know, here's, let me tell you about this story from the 1930s and here's this person who overcame this thing and here's how it all worked out in the end. Like, that's great. You know, and there's some, there's a place for that. But at the same time saying, here's something I experienced and something I lived and something I did. And you know what? Sometimes we think like it's, it has to be some crazy impactful, like I climbed Mount Everest blind in shorts and, and I live to tell about it. Like, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be that. I think, again, that's kind of a misconception with speaking is that, oh, well, I, I can't become a speaker because I haven't done some or overcome some crazy obstacle, you know? So like in my case, like I'm a white male from the Midwest who's had a pretty normal life. Like on paper, there's no reason like I should be a speaker. But the reality is, is like you don't have to have overcome some crazy obstacle in order to be a speaker. Just you, you sharing your own personal experience or sharing life from uh, and sharing things that you have learned can certainly be valuable to an audience. Because the reality is, is most people 
And most people haven't climbed Mount Everest blind in shorts. You know, most people are just normal people going through their daily lives and hearing how someone else is doing it and hearing how someone else has overcome something or accomplished something can be extremely impactful for them. So using stories is really, really, really powerful. And stories can be used in a, in a variety of different ways. But from a just motivating, inspiring, and connecting with an audience, humans, like just as human beings, like we're really, really drawn to stories. So I highly recommend that as a tool for any speaker. And so I like what you said it, and earlier, we had uh, Dr. Carmen Simon talking about what makes great stories, you know, memorable. And often she said, them being relatable is what trumps them being sort of dramatic with regard to their emotions. So what makes a story good then? It may not need to be super epic tales of, of Everest, but what sort of separates a, a great story from an okay story? Well, I mean, I would totally echo the relatable part. So I'm thinking through several of the stories that I tell on a regular basis. So stories like the skydiving and just the, the funny experience that happened with that or going to Disney World with my daughters and a funny interaction that we had or uh, as a teenager, toilet papering a friend's house and getting busted or my very first car and all the problems that it had with that. None of these are just like, uh, and you know, then I met the president and this happened. And then, you know, I was on the secret ops mission and then this happened. And then, then I won the Olympic gold medal. It's, it's like, no, no, like this is normal human everyday stuff. Like anytime I tell a story about my first car, anybody in the audience has had a first car and they can relate to it or it's something that's gone wrong. Even like you mentioned the travel thing at the beginning is like, those are just relatable, normal, like human things that we have had. Oh, let me tell you my travel story. And then here's what happened to me. And like, that's just relatable human stuff that people can connect with. I remember hearing General Colin Powell speak several years ago and it was great. He was a phenomenal speaker. And I think at the time, or maybe he had been the Secretary of Defense, I believe, something to that effect. And so he's, he's telling a really cool story about being on Air Force One and yada, yada. And you're just like, that's pretty cool. But like, I've never been on the Air Force One and I don't see that in my future anytime soon. So so it's kind of like it, it makes it, it feels like there's some level of disconnect versus like, hey, let me tell you about my first car. And you've probably had a similar thing. Or here's a funny experience I had with my kids and you may have experienced something similar. Or here's something that happened in, uh, you know, in a restaurant or traveling or whatever that is just a relatable type of thing that, that a high percentage of the audience can be like, oh, yeah, totally understand that. Totally get that. And I'm with you as you're telling the story. Okay. Yeah, I dig that. Thank you. And so now I'm wondering a little bit in terms of thinking about you in the audience of another speaker, it just makes me wonder, given the eye and the ear that you've developed by beholding many a presenter, could you share, are there a few things that are just sort of like, dude or lady, cut that out. This is an annoying suboptimal habit or thing that presenters do that just has no place and, and needs to stop. Are there a few like top pet peeves in the grant no-no list? Yeah. Uh, like one that comes to mind is having a huge dependency on your slides. So here's one way to approach it. I rarely, if ever, use slides. I'm just, they have a huge value and there's a huge place for them to be used and they can provide, you know, an impact that your words may not be able to provide. But what often happens with speakers is they are more fixated and focused on the slides than on the audience and the presentation itself. So it's a good kind of barometer here is think of it this way. If you're getting ready to give a presentation with slides and your slides go down or they don't work or the technology breaks, if that were to happen just five minutes before you're supposed to speak, can you still be ready? Are you still good to go? Because if you are someone who's like, oh, I just, I can't even function without my slides, then you're not ready. Like you shouldn't be up there speaking. So 
I'll give you an example. My wife was attending a conference a couple months ago, and she texted me, and she said, hey, I'm in this session that was supposed to start 15 minutes ago, and the slides aren't working, and the speaker just told the audience they can't speak without the slides. I was like, then you should be up there. You shouldn't be speaking. So I think just like one of the things I always like to say is that your slides should be an enhancement, not a replacement for your talk. They shouldn't be a crutch. So if they break, be like, ah, that sucks. But like your talk should still stand on its own. It, st- it should still be solid. Even the other day, I was um, a couple of weeks ago, I was at a conference and I was backstage talking with one of the other speakers and they were just going over their slides, slide, slide, slide. Just their whole head was absorbed with the slides. I was like, dude, get out of the, like, forget the slide. You have to connect with the, 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 using your slides as a cheat sheet or as a guide or as a, you know, knowing where to go. Like I get some of that, but you also need, you need to know your material. You need to know where your presentation is going without just having to, I'm going to just throw up a bunch of bullet points that I'm just going to turn and read. I mean, if you're just going to do that, like there's, what's the point of you? Like just give the audience your outline and leave. Like there's no point in you just reading stuff and regurgitating stuff to the audience when they're fully capable of reading. So slides are good. Use slides, but just make sure that they're an enhancement, not a replacement for your talk. Okay. So that's the top pet peeve that left to mind. Any others? I would say this, like you speak a lot. I speak a lot. I don't know about you. I'm not really overly critical with speakers because in in part, because I know most speakers haven't done as much speaking as you or I may have done, Pete. So it's not fair to look at someone and say, okay, this is your first presentation. So let's just go through every single thing that you did wrong here. I remember speaking at a conference and had a a friend of mine who gave me a nice compliment, but a humbling compliment. And I spoke at this conference and it's like the fourth or fifth year of the conference and uh, gave a closing keynote and it went really, really well. And the client came up afterwards and said, you're the best keynote speaker that we've ever had. Well, and I was like, that's awesome. That's so cool. Well, most of the, the keynote speakers they've had are people who give a few talks here and there, but not to the level that I've done in terms of like just the number of engagements, right? So I was telling a friend this, I was like, dude, check this out. Like, you know, he just said I was the, the best speaker they've ever had. And he's like, you're a professional speaker. You should be the best that they've ever had. If you weren't, like, you've got a problem with that, right? So the point being, like, if this is your first time speaking, like, I don't, I don't want to be like hypercritical of those that like are just getting started who've only done a couple things, but the slides would be one thing. Using stories would be another thing. The other thing I would say too, going back to what we talked about earlier that I think any speaker at any level can do is really spending the time to practice and go over your material. Like, again, just don't just get up and wing it. Don't just get up and make stuff up. Don't just shoot from the hip. Like really spending the time to go through the material, know the material, and it makes a huge, huge difference. A good exercise to go through with this is, or maybe a little homework assignment, is to go on Netflix and look up the documentary called Comedian. Have you seen this before? Is this Jerry Seinfeld? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it had been a, a DVD for many, many years. I've, I've got the DVD, but it actually like recently, within like literally the past couple of weeks, came out on Netflix. It is a great documentary. And the nutshell of it is basically, it was filmed in like the I think the early 2000s. It was right after like the show Seinfeld wrapped up, and it's following Jerry Seinfeld around as he's doing his stand-up comedy. But he's really he's working on new material, so it shows him getting up on stage and he's bombing, or he's forgetting his, his the punchline, or he's being heckled, and he's at the top of his game. Like he's one of the more recognized people in entertainment, and yet here he is showing like I'm trying to work on this craft, this jokes. It's not just, oh, Jerry Seinfeld's funny, so he just gets up and talks and it all just works out. It just shows him behind the scenes of how this comes together. So you watch a special on Netflix or HBO or Comedy Central or whatever, and you think, like, that just happened. 
It just doesn't work like that. They just spent so much time behind the scenes going over and over and over their material so that they feel confident, they feel comfortable, and they feel prepared when they get up and speak. So I think a speaker, presenter at any level can spend time practicing and preparing, and that makes a huge difference. Oh, perfect. Thank you. Well, and so then I'm curious to hear, as we kind of transition a bit, of all the suggestions that you have offered a number of times, what do you believe is sort of the biggest bang for the buck when it comes to, over the long term, improving your speaking presentation skills? Like if there's one thing you would have people do regularly to get better what would that thing be? Yeah, I mean, practice would be definitely up there on the list. I think a couple other things that would come to mind would be to get feedback from not just respected people that you know who have a lot of speaking experience who can give you specific feedback, but also from peers and colleagues who may be other speakers as well. So getting that feedback, I think, makes a, a big difference. Working with speaking coaches, again, depending on if you're just like, hey, I give one talk a year and it's not that big a deal, like, it may not be necessary. But if you're someone where, hey, I give a lot of presentations, they're very high stakes presentations, getting that outside feedback from a speaking coach or from a professional speaker who can go through and can really help you on not content of what you're presenting, but also on the your presentation style, your presentation skills can make a huge difference. Another simple thing that you can do is just recording yourself and watching it back, which for most people can be brutally painful. But oftentimes we identify things that maybe we wouldn't have noticed otherwise. So maybe you there's some type of filler word that you use regularly, or maybe there's just there's something you do with your hands that you're like, I didn't even realize I did that. But once I watch it back, I see how that, how distracting that is, you know, or here's something I, uh, every time I tell this story, then this part isn't funny. And I think it's funny, but now that I'm watching it back, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't flow. And you're kind of just trying to pull your, like have this out-of-body experience where you're going back and going through the material to figure out like what's working and what's not and just kind of breaking it down in that way. So recording yourself, going back, reviewing it, watching it is another good exercise that any speaker can do. All right. Well, Grant, tell me, is there anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? I don't know. I don't know what my favorite things are. So I'm excited about that. Let's get to that. Oh, let's do it. Okay. Could you share a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? One of my favorite quotes I like to share is who you are is more important than what you do. Meaning if you're a great speaker, if you're a great employee, if you're a great entrepreneur, if you're a great fill in the blank, but you drop the ball as a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a father, if you're just the shell of a human being, like that's just not worth it. So that's what I, I try to remind myself of regularly is who you are is more important than what you do. Okay. Excellent. And how about a favorite book? Let's see here. It's looking at what I've got on my desk here. I think a lot of times it kind of depends on the like your current situation or what you're what you're chewing on. There's a book I read recently, or I actually read it a, a couple years ago, but then was rereading it recently called Built to Sell. And it's not necessarily like yeah, it's in the context of if you want to sell your business, but it's also in the context of trying to build a business that doesn't depend on you. Uh, so that was a that was a really good one. That uh, there's a a lot that could be pulled from. All right, and. Tell me, is, do you have a favorite tool, something that helps you be awesome at your job? I use Slack constantly with our team, with communicating with others. It's it's kind of, if you're not familiar with it, it's like a, a modern day instant messenger tool. And so there's, there's a lot of different functions and uses to that. But yeah, Slack is something I use super regularly. I also use a tool called Evernote a lot. Just It's kind of my digital brain of any ideas or projects or tasks or any type of thing that just something I want to save, I keep in Evernote. So yeah, both Slack and Evernote are pretty common ones I use. All right. 
And do you have a favorite habit that helps you be effective? One thing that I would say would be very critical would just be exercise. And I know this is something that's, that's thrown around commonly, but you're only as good as the body that you have and that you're, you're taking care of yourself. So I try to just regularly exercise. I do a couple different things. So there's a, um, a, a strength training class that I go to three times a week. I think going to an actual class for me personally has made a big difference because there's kind of a, a built-in accountability of the, the peer pressure of being around other people who can encourage you, that can support you, that man, I don't want to get out of bed this early, but I know that they're going to be there and I'm, they're going to give me grief if I'm not there. So, I, all right, I'll just get up and go, even if I'm not feeling like it, or those guys are pushing harder. So I'm going to push a little bit harder. So being in a class setting for me, for my health has made a big difference. So I do that three times a week. And then usually it's, uh, several times a week, I will do biking. And I've done that either outside or we recently got a, a Peloton bike. And so we do these like indoor spin classes and uh, those, those things kick your butt too. But just bottom line, like just taking care of yourself, doing something, makes a big difference to your ability to focus, get stuff done throughout the day. And do you have a particular nugget or piece that you share that really seems to connect and resonate with your clients? Sort of a, a grant original that gets them taking notes and saying, oh yeah. Well, I would say like from a speaking standpoint, like if you wanted to get into like professional speaking, if it's something you want to do more seriously, then a big thing I would say would be to make sure you're really, really clear on who you speak to and what you speak about. And I think this is where most speakers have a difficult time is they try to speak to anybody and everybody about everything and anything and nothing all at the same time. But as counterintuitive as it feels like the more narrow and focused you are, the easier it is to find and book speaking engagements versus just trying to appeal to anybody and everybody, which just doesn't work. All right. And Grant, if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them? We've got a podcast ourselves over at thespeakerlab.com, thespeakerlab.com. And if people are interested in learning more about how to find and book paid speaking engagements, we've got a free training that people can check out over at freespeakerworkshop.com, freespeakerworkshop.com. Okay. And do you have a final challenge or call to action you'd issue to folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah, I would say the big thing would just be to take some small step of action. You know, and I think that that's even going back to if you're working on your talk, or your presentation, thinking through it through the lens of what do you want the audience to do as a result of this? And so taking some small step of action. If you take the time to listen to, to this podcast or any podcast or read a, an article or a book or a blog post or whatever, and you don't do anything different, like, what, like what's the point of that? So any little little nugget of thing that you want to just take and apply and implement is just taking some type of action makes a huge difference. All right. Awesome. Well, Grant, thanks so much for taking the time and sharing your perspective here. I wish you and the Speaker Lab tons of luck and success and gigs and, and all the good stuff. Thanks, Pete. Appreciate you letting me hang out with you, man. I really appreciated it how Grant shared just the tremendous amount of time it can take to prepare well for a presentation. So I think that's great because professionals do. They make it look easy, but really there's a whole lot of work and effort and time that's going in behind the scenes for that. So I just think that's pretty cool. If you've practiced once or twice and you're like, oh, I'm still not amazing. Well, nobody is. It takes a whole lot more of a dosage of rehearsal to be smashing in the presentation. So again, if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to items that we've referenced here, you can find that on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep248. And I hope if you haven't already, you'll push subscribe to hear from our next guest, Clay Scroggins. He is going to chat about how to exercise good leadership when you are not in charge. So I hope to catch you then. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.